Good morning, everyone. Oh, it's good to be together in the house of the Lord. Thank you, worship team, for leading us into the presence of God. Before we uh, try anything here um, and open God's word, let's ask his spirit to teach us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the incredible truth that you love us. You want to speak to us. We thank you. You have a word for us this morning. And Lord, we ask that you remove the distractions. In some cases, maybe even the excuses. Lord, that would hinder us from hearing you. Please open our hearts wide. Please find them as fertile soil as you plant your truths within them. And Lord, might we be changed. Might our lives be more conformed into your image as a result of how we respond to your word. And we'll give you all the praise, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but there's someone who loves you very much, who's given you 86,400 seconds, 1,440 minutes, 24 hours a day. Each of you 24. Some don't have 25. Some didn't get ripped off and have 23. You all got, we all have, 24 hours, 1,440 minutes, 86,400 seconds. We all have it. The believer's goal is to manage time in such a way that God is glorified and that we have the energy to accomplish all that he wants us to accomplish. As we go about the day and a lot of interactions, and you're probably familiar with expressions you use, well, it's about time. You're never on time. Why don't you spend more time time with me. Or in the case of one of the moms of uh, my, my boys' basketball players, she's always late to the game. And I said, don't you know what time the game starts as I pick on her? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I do, but I'm always running late. And, and so time, we, we use the phrase, we all experience it, and we all have pet peeves about it. I can't stand when someone's not on time for a meeting or something like that that drives me bonkers. And, uh, and so we all have this thing called time, and we're all trying to manage it. How do we do it? How can we build into our lives a healthy management of time? Specifically, how do we build into our lives margin, breathing room into our schedules that allow you and I to enjoy all that God's given us, that allows you and I the energy to invest in our lives and what God wants us to invest in? How do we manage our time, the time given to us, in such a way that there's room to enjoy the moments before us? How do we manage our lives that there's margin, there's time to bear fruit? How do we do that? The best way to consider that is to look how Jesus spent his time. He's perfect life on earth. I'm thinking he's the perfect model, so... I want to know how he spent his time. So if you flip to Mark 6, I'm just going to look at a couple verses in Mark 6 that give us an insight into how Jesus spent his time. Now, Jesus left heaven, came to earth to redeem mankind. He came on a mission. And so certainly, he would have packed 24 hours a day full. I'm sure. Well, 
Maybe, maybe not. Let's look. Mark 6, verse 30 through 32. We read this. The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. For there were many people coming and going. They did not even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. Flip to verse 45 and 46, same chapter. After feeding thousands of people, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat, go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the crowd away. And after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. I mean, those verses, just those, reinforce how Jesus mastered the use of time. We never see him in a hurry, do we? We never see Jesus worried. I'm convinced he didn't have a wristwatch. I lost my watch. It broke not long ago, and and I keep looking at it for time, and I'm thinking, that's one of the best things that ever happened to me. Because I'd always look at it and think, oh, i got 32 minutes until this happens. And I better get going at 25. And so it's been a freeing thing. You should get rid of it. Try it a little bit. Uh, It's been good for me. And But as I look at the Savior, and I look at, I mean, he's on a rescue mission for humanity, and he mastered time, and he was never in a hurry. He had time for children. He had time for people who uh, were down and broken, who needed healing, who were uh, demonically oppressed. And he had time for his disciples to kick back and say, Hey, guys, share with me what's going on in your life. He mastered the use of time. He was open to interruptions and spontaneous moments. And yet, at the end of his life, he accomplished everything he was sent to accomplish by the Father. His last words communicate this. He set predetermined limits. He discipled 12, not 1,200. He really even focused intensely on three, not 33. He had predetermined limits. He balanced work. He balanced rest. He managed the physical, relational, emotional components. He spent time with the Father. He refused to get sidetracked with energy-sapping opportunities. He took time to do things well. I guess you could sum up Jesus' life by saying he used 86,400 seconds of time wisely and with balance. But I wonder what's happened to us. Our lives are so filled with activity and work, it's choked out much of what really matters, like managing our relationships, our friendships, our hearts. We haven't mastered time well, have we? Ecclesiastes 3 says, There is a time. If you go through that chapter, it says it over and over and over. But how do we define time? Webster defines it's the measurable period during which an action, process, or condition exists or continues. You see, when it comes to time, God is neither passive or absent. He cares about how we spend our time. Remember, he created it. He created this thing called time. He designed the concept here on earth. And here on earth, time is irretrievable. It just keeps moving. And in light of that, it's important we expose some myths about time. These are my things probably all of us have said. The thing is, they're not true. And sometimes we just need to expose the myths. Example, you might say sometimes, I need more time. The fact is, you have all the time you need to do all that God wants you to do. You don't need more time. you got all all we need to do what God wants us to do. You might have said or thought, I have less time than others. No, 
You have the same amount of time as each person around you, as the busiest person even. You can save time. No, you can't. It's just going to keep moving. You can't store up time. You can accomplish more. You might have said, I can just accomplish more by working longer. No, you can accomplish more by working smarter, not necessarily longer. I can make up lost time, you might think. No, you can never regain lost time. Maybe you thought, I'm too busy to do all I have to do. No, you have time to do all that you should do. And so we, we face a lot of myths that we impart upon ourselves and in our minds, they're strongholds. But there are realities of time. I came across a study that said in the average lifetime, we'll spend six months sitting at traffic lights. Isn't that fun? Average life will spend one year searching through clutter in their house. <laughs> average will spend two years trying to call people who are not in. The average life will spend five years waiting in line. Average person will spend three years in meetings. They'll commute 45 minutes every day. They'll be interrupted 73 times every day. The average manager is interrupted every eight minutes. We'll receive 600 advertising messages a day. We'll travel 7,700 miles a year. You see, we get there faster. The problem is now we got more places to go. We fill up that uh, vacancy pretty quick. We'll watch, on average, 1,700 hours of TV a year. And I wonder what we did with all our time before telephones, computers, TVs, and all the cluttered desks. What did we do? Is it possible? Is it possible we've traded progress for margin? Is it possible with all them time-saving devices, we've found it possible now to fill our lives with more and we've reduced the margin, the breathing room in our life? Is it possible we've traded progress for margin and conversing and serving, resting and praying? Now I want to define this phrase margin. I, you could also call it breathing room. It's quite simple. Margin or breathing room is what's allowed in your life beyond what's needed. What do you allow in your life beyond what's needed? Some of it might need to define what's needed. And as a child, sometimes my children say, I need this. I'm like, yeah, that's funny. No, you don't. <laughs> um, you don't need it. Because I said you don't need it. No. Um, and so sometimes we need to def- differentiate between needs and wants. But margin or breathing room, and this is really what God wants us to have, is what's allowed in our life beyond what's needed. It, you could call it time held in reserve. And we need to confront this dilemma because the spontaneous flow of progress is to consume more of our time, not less. To consume more of our margin, not less. The flow of progress is toward increasing stress, complexity, and overload. And if we sit back and let it happen in our lives next year at this time, mark my words, you and I will have less margin, less breathing room, and we're going to have a whole lot more stress. And we won't be accomplishing what God wants us to if we don't face this dilemma head on. The fact is progress has and is competing with priorities. Namely, we've set aside the social, the emotional, and the relational. How do we know Jesus would want us to concentrate time on the social, on the emotional, 
on the relational components in our life. How do we know that Jesus would want us to spend our time there? Simply put, that's where the areas we see Christ spend his time. It's the areas he invested in. It's what he taught. If you think about and look in the Bible, there's all these one another's we're called to as Christians to do. But if, I, if you were honest, some of you would read that list of one another's and say, you know what, I just don't have time to share with one another. I don't have time to love one another. I don't have time to carry one another's burdens. Our excuse would be time. Wouldn't it? It's all of ours, if we're honest. We all face this thing called time. And progress, quote-unquote progress, battles that. Technology. It battles that. The, the, the pace that we have allowed society to set for us assaults our time and our proper use of it. Ecclesiastes has a lot to say about time, but there's a verse that grabbed my attention in chapter 4, verse 6. Verse 4 uh, pictures a skilled worker who's motivated, motivated by competition, becomes a workaholic. Uh, and then we find verse 6 states a happy balance. One hand full of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after the wind. Isn't that interesting? Solomon's saying you need margin. You need breathing room in your life. It's that important. You see, counselors' offices are filled with people in pain. Confused, broken, burnt out, stressed out, depressed. And how few, even counselors, realize how much of our pain is linked to a life that's out of balance. A life with no margin. Time poorly spent. A life that is not invested in relational and emotional and the spiritual components of our life under the guise of, I just don't have time. You see, the conditions of our modern world devour margin. They devour time. They devour breathing room. Consider this. Progress has given you and I unprecedented technology. Education, entertainment, other ears only dreamed about. And yet today, you see a loss of joy, increasing loss of peace, more stress, burnout, and confusion than any generations before us. It's because lives have no margin. They have no breathing room. And when lives have no margin, we sacrifice very significant things. We sacrifice family, friends, Brothers and sisters in Christ. We sacrifice time with the internal, transcendent God. And what do we sacrifice them for? The physical, material world. The intellectual world. You see, our progress in the latter two, which, by the way, isn't bad. But that progress in education in the physical material world and our desire to accumulate more and more and more, our progress in that is good, but because it's consumed more time, there's pain in the other elements. There's pain in marriages. There's, there's pain because we have no more friendships. There's pain because we don't know the support of a church family. There's pain because we no longer spend time with God 
Because after all, we don't have time. And we sacrificed, and we pay the consequences for it. Our progress in some has resulted in pain in the others because we've invested so little time in our walk with God and our family and our friends and the church family. I have a question. If we have ten times more than our ancestors, how come we're not ten times more contented? I contend it's because we haven't managed our time well. We've thrown it away in some cases, but we've sacrificed it towards things that in in eternity just don't matter. A deep concern I have is the generation of teenagers who are caught up in the pace and are rapidly losing the ability to relate in healthy ways and are losing the vitality to live with passion. And you know what we've done? Because of the pace of life, because it's increasing... We've begun to hand our children over and ask our teachers and educators, here, you raise them. Because after all, I just don't have time. If we were honest. There's a temptation to do that. And so our education system is now trying to face an onslaught of consequences because we haven't invested time in our children because we've been so busy. I notice at times when I put leadership retreats, not at times, pretty much every time, that, uh, that sometimes we'll have games. And they'll come in and they're like, oh, I don't have time for games. I took a day away or something like that. And, uh, and, and even last fall we did one of our leadership retreat and we, we played some different things. And, but it's interesting because as you just watch the demeanor, slowly you see the stress reduce. They're laughing. And if you want to see people get into some games, you look at some elders. It's just a competitive group. And leaders, man, they roll up their sleeves. And when they, all of a sudden you see them getting, getting in it, because you notice something happened. They began to laugh, began to breathe. They began to relate. And it brought energy. And I often want to remind them, don't forget this moment. It doesn't have to be once, twice a year. It doesn't have to be once or twice a year to you either. Invest in time, in the things that really matter. Here's a quick quiz. Let's see how you do. You don't have to raise your hand, but ask yourself, when's the last time I really laughed? When's the last time I did something spontaneous? When's the last time I sat and listened intently to a child? When's the last time you just stopped and looked at the beauty of snow? There was a beautiful snowfall early yesterday. It wasn't, wasn't heavy. It was just pretty. When's the last time you sit and looked at that? And this you won't be able to do for a couple months, but when's the last time you sat and smelled cut grass? When's the last time you did those things? When's the last time you played a game? Monopoly or something like that. And I don't ask that to guilt you, but to identify the need for each of us to create breathing room into our lives. It's meant to reveal you and I have a need for margin. And when there's no margin, when there's no breathing room, things get pushed out Often eternal things, things that really last like people, purpose, service for the kingdom. And there's great casualties we have because we've not managed our time well. When we don't manage our time well, although it may seem like we're making progress, speed picks up and we hit limit after limit after limit. We make no time for what really matters. Sadly, we don't really know 
often can lose this idea of what it even means to live or experience a life of margin, a life with breathing room. So the dilemma is the very progress that has been so helpful in regard to time has brought consequences. So our remedy must be countercultural if we're going to live the way God wants us to. You see, none of the tools of progress or time-saving efforts have helped build relational foundations or society of lives that are needed. They help, but because we haven't managed time well, they begin to consume more time. So how do we build breathing room? Remember what margin is now. Remember what breathing room is here. It's what's allowed in your life beyond what's needed. It's allowed in your life beyond what is needed. It's the gap between rest and exhaustion. It's the leeway between ourselves and our limits. It's the time held reserved for contingencies, for God-led opportunities. Isn't it rare to see a life that's scheduled at only 80%? And there's a 20% left for margin? Left to respond to God-led opportunities? I had shared with a, a couple of the elders yesterday about a, a, a man who helped disciple me. He's named Tom Segrist and uh, kindred spirit with Ken. He's a, he was a dentist. And, uh, and, and he, him and his wife just poured into my life. But he modeled some things for me. One of the things he modeled well is although he had a practice, and it was his practice, he took Wednesday afternoons off. He, he was done at noon. He would go home and spend time with God and study do some things around the house, he'd breathe. And every Friday night, no matter what happened, don't ask him to do anything. Because he was going out with his wife. Come heck or high water. And you could ask him to do some really important things. He said, no. I'm taking time with Chris. He modeled for me breathing room. And we'd play basketball a lot, things we love, and he seemed like he would always have time. He'd make time to do some of those things. He loved them. And he was a great model for me of how to live with breathing room and margin in his life. So how do we do that? How do we build margin and breathing room into our lives so we can be wise in using the time God has given us? How do we manage ourselves in reference to time? Psalm 90, verse 12. I thought of this week. The psalmist talking to God, says, So teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Notice the first words, teach us. What's the implication? We need to be taught. We're ignorant about these things unless you, God, teach us to use time wisely. And that's what it means to number our days. It's to help allot our time wisely. God, we need help to use the time you've given us wisely. That's why I'm talking about this this morning. We need help. We need teaching. Our culture, our pursuit of progress is fighting against you. You need to know that. It's fighting against managing your time. So defend your time. It's worth it. It will bring great joy, great peace, relational depth into your life, passion into your life you haven't known. Manage your time well. So here, how do we do this? One, this is a tough one. You need to admit your limitations. You need to admit it. You need to give yourself permission to create margin by admitting you can't do it all. 
Matter of fact, God doesn't even expect you to. He calls you to do some things, not everything. And He calls you to do those things He calls you to. Do them well. Do them for His glory. But He hasn't called you to do all things. And at this point, I want to say, and I convict myself even when I say it, if we are honest deep in our hearts at times, we've said these things. If I don't do it, it won't get done right. That's a pride. Pride starts to settle in. We begin to think that we're the straw that stirs the drink, that everything's going to revolve around us. And we begin to take on more things and more things and more things that we're not, frankly, supposed to pick up. We really got to be careful because we're our worst enemy in this. You and I need to admit our limits. God doesn't call us to do all things. He calls us to do some things, and we're to do them well. It takes discernment to do that. Admit your limitations. Oftentimes when I meet with people, and sometimes couples, sometimes individuals who are facing personal things, one of the things I'll say to them is, you know, you need some counsel. You need someone to walk you through this, whatever the situation would be. A few years ago, I had to give myself that same counsel. I had to say, Matt, you you need counsel. You need to see a counselor. That was humbling, because I'm actually supposed to be there. I'm supposed to have it together, okay? I'm supposed to be the counselor. I'm not supposed to go to one. Um, But I had to. So I called a Christian counselor, said I need to get together. He said, by the way, you're not the only pastor who's called me. I've had several. So I felt a little better. But as I met with him, it wasn't long after my dad had died. I was experiencing a life layered with stressors at so many different levels. And I felt something I'd never felt before, and the only way to define it is aloneness. I felt a depth of aloneness. Not lonely. I knew, I knew God loved me. I knew his presence was there. I was having some good, good devotional life. But deep within me, functionally, I felt alone. And, I, and it, what's worse, I felt guilty because I got an incredible wife. I got loving children. But I felt deep down alone. I didn't know what to do with it. So I came and saw this counselor. And as he listened to me, I remember him saying to me, Matt, I'm tired just listening to you. There's some pride. You think you need to be involved in everything. That was for sure. But also the onion and layers of the onion he began to peel away was I was trying to juggle a lot of things. And because of that, I hadn't spent time, healthy time, grieving. I just kind of buried the idea of losing dad because I had more things to do. And so I poured myself into those things. And more things. And after a while, it began to add up and I felt this sense of aloneness. Hard to define if maybe you've been there. And his remedy was, Matt, you've spent no time building emotional health You have not used your time wisely. And because of that, your relationships have have suffered. You have no time for recreation. The very things you love that build energy into you, you've just quit doing. Matt, you haven't used your time wisely. And i got to be honest, when I went into the office, that's the last thing I thought he was going to get. It seems so simplistic. Certainly he's going to have this recipe that will help me get out of this sense. But all he wound up saying is, you, you don't use your time wisely. Here's what I want you to do. 
this next week. And what he told me is I want you to do this, invest in this, and invest in this. And basically what he said is I want you to use margin. To create margin. I needed to admit my limitations. And I got a feeling maybe I'm not alone. We need to admit our limitations. Two, we need to create a realistic schedule. We need to gain control of our life. We need to base our schedules on priorities, not the tyranny of the urgent. We need to favor time with God, with our families, friendships, and certainly pursuing God's call in our life. That's what's needed. Beyond that, there's things that would be okay, but are they really needed? We need to create margin in our life. And if our schedules are ruled by the urgent, you and I will not have time for what really matters. We need to allow breathing room in our schedules. And sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to say no. No to something. And it might be something really good. We need to create realistic schedules. Three, we need to practice simplicity and contentment. This might be the toughest. It seems we always need to be doing something or working to get more. And matter of fact, if you're like me, there's times you feel guilty because you're not doing something. We need to create a schedule that includes simplicity and contentment. Even with special care, activity branches multiply. And soon the profusion of branches become more important than the trunk and the limbs. You might need to prune your activity branches. Prune them toward simplicity. It seems to me the Bible reveals at the beginning of every day, you and I are given an assignment that has eternal significance. To love and serve and obey and pray. Instead, too often we squander time on things that very soon will leave us forever. And, and what happens is we begin to live life with no margin, no breathing room, and, and there's something else that happens. Because we don't have the energy, the very moments we are called to treasure, a grandchild on your knee, time with a child, we no longer enjoy the moments because we have no margin and no energy to enjoy the moments. So not only is our schedule more full, we're not even enjoying the moments within the schedule. Would you agree that that's sacrificing too much? Bible says, yeah, it is. Practice simplicity and contentment. Number four, glorify God by allowing Him to be Lord of your time. Actually, after all, He's the one who gave it to you. You see, the idea of margin and breathing room is not my idea. It's God's. He called it the Sabbath. Do you realize God allowed, He modeled, He commanded almost 20% margin in our life? He said, I want you to spend one day out of a seven-day week, and what I want you to do is don't work. Rest. It was his idea. And I'm thinking if the perfect creator God, transcendent God, said, you know what, you need margin in your life, I'm thinking it's a good idea. And I think our lives show what it's like when we don't. You see, God, our creator, made limits. And they were placed for our protection. And you and I exceed them at great peril. So what's the call to you and I today to reorient our life in a God-driven direction rather than a society-driven direction? And that God-given direction is to create breathing room and margin 
in your life so you and I could accomplish all that God wants us to accomplish. Let's pray. Father, uh, some, well, I should say often, we encounter truths in your scriptures that are rubber-meets-the-road type truths. We can't run from them. What we need to do is to run to you. That you'd guide us, you'd direct us, that by your Spirit you'd peel away the layers of excuses, the rationalities, the pride. Those things, God, that hinder us from enjoying you and living out your calling on our lives. Boy, and it would seem to me if there's an area of our life we desperately need your help, it's this area. Holy Spirit, cause us to create breathing room in our schedules. God, I pray that you would help us to see the significance of time with you and and time with our family and friends that maybe we have forsaken and sacrificed at the altar of progress, technology, good things, God, but not the best things. Please help us. This morning, as you sit with your head bowed, if the Holy Spirit is asking you, matter of fact, if the Holy Spirit's inviting you to reevaluate your time, and you this morning are asking Him for wisdom, and you're asking Him for courage to take necessary steps, I want you, by a way of commitment and response, to again, heads bowed, just to slip up your hand and say, Yes. Yes. Slip your hand up. Good. God, we can't run from this issue. Forgive us for doing so. And Lord, what I know you want your people to be are people marked by vitality, a growing intimacy with you, a growing love for one another, greater commitment to our family, our friends, our church family. After all, those are things that matter. And so God might, even one week from now, our lives would be filled with more margin because we listen to what your Spirit tells us in this moment at this time. And might our lives begin to reflect more and more you and your call in our life so that in all things, Jesus, you are praised. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.